Hey, let me be like the fourth person to welcome you tonight. Okay, I'm going to do some introductions with the staff next week, I think. But for tonight, I just want to introduce us this way as a ministry because there's some different priorities that we have and some different promises I want to make to you. If you're wondering what we're about or why we're here or what makes us unique, I mean, there's a lot of great campus ministries on this campus, truly. Okay, I believe that. know a lot of the other staff. We pray together for you guys. Um, so we're connected that way in different ways. But, but just to give you some priorities for us, one thing I want to promise you guys this year is that if you come into the spaces um, like this Monday night experience or some of the other stuff that we've got going on, we're going to be ready for you. Okay, we're going to prayerfully create sacred spaces for you to be in. And so I want you to know when you show up in this space, we will have prayed through what tonight looks like. God, how do you want us to kind of gather around you and look at you? Not just what's the coolest thing can we pull off on a Monday night, but how can we make God big together um, to help you figure out what the Jesus following life looks like on campus. So that's number one. Number two, um, we're going to hold this thing high, the Word of God. Okay, this is what's out in front of us. And so I view my role as a teacher here. My name's Ben, by the way. I'm like one of the older guys floating around here, okay? Um, I view my role here not as uh, how do I condense my awesome opinions and deliver those to you guys, okay? Because I have some awesome opinions. I really do, okay? It's not about my opinions. It's not about what I think. Every week when I prepare for tonight, I come to the text and I say, God, what is it that you have that needs to change me? so that I can deliver that to you. So what's fun is, by the time Monday night rolls around, I'm sick of God working on me. I'm like, okay, time for it, it's your job now. It's your turn, you get, God gets to deal with you now. So we're gonna hold the, hold the word of God high together on Monday nights. Um, the last one is this, and this is true for our Monday night experience, it's true for our small groups, it's true for, it's true for the church that you go to, because I think sometimes people have weird expectations when it comes to things like this. So I just wanna shatter that expectation right now. It is this. My role tonight is not to feed you like a mama bird feeding her baby birds, okay? The word of God or anything else. My job tonight is to give you an appetizer. All I can give you is a taste. It's supposed to make you hungry. Appetizers aren't really supposed to fill you up, all right? You're supposed to be like, this was good, I want more, okay? That's where the Lord meets you personally. So I hope tonight, tonight we're going to some awesome places. We'll be in 2 Kings, we'll be in Matthew, we'll be in Isaiah, we'll be all over the place. But I'm hoping that makes you hungry for more because that should help you chase the Word of God on your own. So in other words, there's only so, so far I can go in 30 minutes tonight. You need to take that appetizer and take it deeper and find the full meal. Same thing is true in your small groups. People are like, I want authentic community. Me too. That doesn't happen in like an hour and 15 minute program time, all right? That's an appetizer. It's up to you to take that authentic community and make it deeper. So when, so when anyone, whenever I hear anyone's be like, man, I just wish that this could be deeper. I wish that that could go deeper. It's like, take it deeper. <laughs> that's it. Like all that's been given to you in that space is an appetizer. That's true tonight. It's true in your small group. It's true in your church experience. True everywhere else. Okay? The place that we're going tonight that I am excited about, I got to kind of start with a story actually because years ago when I was young and cool, um, I had a motorcycle uh, a lot of years ago. Before I, yeah, I lost cool a lot of years back, okay? Even when I had the motorcycle. But I, I, was, um, I bought this motorcycle. I don't mean like one of those plastic rocket-looking things, okay? I mean like old-school, like street bike, big black motorcycle. And the first time I really took it out after I got my license and all of that stuff, and this was a completely new world to me, driving down the road, and I see another motorcycle coming my, like this direction, like 
rough-looking dude, right? Giant beard, spiked helmet, big old bike, wearing full leather. Look on his face like, if I make eye contact with this dude, he's going to stop me and beat the living tar out of me. That's what he looks like, like one of those kind of motorcycle guys, okay? As I'm coming up on him and he gets ready to pass me and I'm kind of looking over at him, um, I see him drop his left hand down and, and do this. He waves at me. I was like... I keep driving my motorcycle, okay? Another motorcycle comes by, the exact same thing happens. And I was like, well, that's weird. Two of these rough dudes waved at me. And then, like, you know, a bunch of cars, other stuff passes. And then there was a bunch of guys riding bikes together. You know, like, you pass those 20, you know, 20 guys riding motorcycles together. They pass. Every one of those dudes dropped their hands. It's, it's subtle. Oftentimes, it's just this, Okay? I had no idea the secret club existed, you guys. Did you, how many of you knew that? How many of you have seen them do that? See, it's just a few of you. Just a few of you knew that this, the rest of us are muggles, okay? And this other secret world is going on all around us where these bikers are friendly with each other. By the way, dudes on those super, you know, souped up rockets, they don't always wave, okay? But the old rough dudes always, always, always do. And I was like, where? I, like, how have I lived this long without knowing the secret world existed right underneath my, my nose. Because <laughs> it does, apparently. Now I've opened your eyes, too. Now you know it exists. And as I was thinking about this, because this is the direction that our text is going to take us tonight, I thought, man, we are kind of captivated by this idea that, of, of the secret world, of things that you trip over that you didn't know existed, but then suddenly are very real. And this may, I'm sure you can have your own examples. Think about them later if you want to. These were the first three examples that popped into my head, okay? Am I, uh, I don't know if I'm dating myself too much. Amazing movie. What is this? Matrix. Matrix okay, Morpheus. This is so, so good a scene they based an office episode off of this, okay? But in this episode, he gives Neo red pill or blue pill because you are awakened as the viewer to realize that reality itself is different. There's a different story going along life that everyone is oblivious to. Okay, the second one, what's this one? Harry Potter, the world of magic or non-magic, muggle versus non-muggle, this idea that, that, that a kind of magic exists that the rest of us are just oblivious to, but it's happening all around us. Third one? Narnia. Narnia, that's Lucy. Lucy beginning to walk through the wardrobe in Narnia because C.S. Lewis in that wanted to design this whole other world that ran parallel to our world. You guys, these stories are all over the place. As I was thinking about them, I was like, man, Pixar has made a mint off of this idea. Toy Story, it's the normal world, but man, you turn around, all the toys come to life. That's the way Toy Story looks. Inside out, your emotions personified. Monsters, Inc., open the door, and there's this entire monster world that sits there. Coco, I could keep going. This is like common cultural theme for us, secret world that sits right underneath our noses that we're just not quite aware of. Now, why am I talking about this? Because our text takes us there, and also because this is the way that Jesus lived. Not, not about these. All three of these, I would say, though, were intended to be spiritual metaphors. You cannot watch these and not walk away with that. But Jesus lived as if there was... You know, we think of it as the physical world, what I can see, what I can taste, what I can touch, what I can smell, what I can experience with my senses, and the spiritual world. But Jesus lived this different way, like the two were bridged, like the two overlapped. 
the way that he talked, the way that he taught, all the time it, was like, it wasn't like the secret world was other. He lived and he talked and he prayed and he taught like there was overlap between the two. Even in the Lord's Prayer, which you've heard, even those of you who have not been around church, didn't grow up with church, you've heard the Lord's Prayer. In the Lord's Prayer, Jesus, remember what he says? He says, your kingdom come. Your kingdom, the spiritual world, come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's like if there's a curtain separating the physical and the spiritual world, that Jesus is reaching through that curtain and constantly dragging the spiritual to the physical all the time. The two were blended together. They weren't separate worlds. I love that about him. So my question for you tonight is, what if Jesus was right? Now, I know a lot of you are like, oh, I think he was. Do you? Do you live each day like the spiritual world is a reality? that it overlaps the physical world? Because when I first looked at this, when I first wrote these words down in my notes, I was like, yeah, I believe that. And then the Holy Spirit was like, but do you? <laughs> that was the, the conviction that I've been sitting with. Ben, do you live like this in the day-to-day? -day? Is this the way you pray? Is this the way you think about problems? Is this the way that you think about your family? Oh, there's so, so much that's good here. What if Jesus was right? What if the kingdom of heaven is real? And what if it overlaps our physical world? What if? That's the question we're asking tonight. Well, the text we're going to start in comes out of 2 Kings, and I got to give you just a little bit of background for it, okay? There's the prophet. I'll get these guys off the screen. There's the prophet Elisha, and a prophet in the Old Testament was like a spokesperson on behalf of God. Sometimes they spoke the truth about what God wanted to tell the people. They could, sometimes God gave them a gift of being able to know something in the future that was going to happen. Um, but in essence, they were like a spokesperson for God. And so in a, I, I love Elisha's story. This happened in the 9th century B.C. So this is like 3,000 years ago. And in Elisha's story, the king of Syria, the Arameans, wanted to invade and destroy Israel. And so he would send scouts out that would look and see where Israel was at, and they would plan an attack. But here's the thing. God was trying to protect Israel. So he would tell Elisha, hey, the Aramean king is about to attack you guys. You should move. Elisha would pass that information to the king, and they would take off. So every time they tried to ambush the Israelites, they showed up to an empty space. And the king, of, uh, the king could not figure out what's happening. Because time and time and time again, his military enterprise is thwarted. And that takes us into our text here. 2 Kings 6. And the mind of the king of Syria was greatly troubled because of this thing, what I just told you. And he called his servants to them. Will you not show me who of us is for the king of Israel? In other words, he's saying, there's a mole. I got a traitor somewhere in there who's telling them everything that I'm saying. And one of his servants said, none, my lord, O king. But Elisha, the prophet who's in Israel, tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. So in other words, it's like the most private things you're thinking, Elisha is telling the king of Israel. That's a little scary. And he said, go and see where he is, that I may send and seize him. And it was told him, behold, he's in Dothan. So he sent, this is the king of, of Aramea, he sent their horses and chariots and a great army, and they came by night and surrounded the city. So, to sum up, the king's like, well, if I can't get Israel, then I'll kill the guy who's telling Israel what's going on. Forget surrounding the camp, I'll surround him, the prophet. It continues. 
And when the servant of the man of God, that's Elisha's servant, rose early in the morning and went out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city. So I need you to picture this for a second because this dude walks out of his tent with his coffee and it is chariots. I mean, it, it is the enemy army and it's just him and Elisha. That's it. Just standing there. And he's like, not good. This is not good. And the servant said, alas, my master. I'm guessing he said it with more urgency than I just did. Alas, my master, what shall we do? And he said, this is Elisha, do not be afraid. For those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And then Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. In other words, there's an army of God that's all around them that he couldn't see before that moment. That comes out of 2 Kings 6, starting in verse 11. Now, there's a specific word that I want you to pay attention to because I'm going to stay on this word for the next seven weeks, I think. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be uh, in every talk, sermon that I give over the next seven weeks, and it's here, used twice in this passage. The word behold. Behold. I have become captivated by this word this summer. It is used almost 1,100 times in the Bible, okay? Um, again, for you language nerds, it looks like this. The Old Testament is written in Hebrew and Aramaic. The Hebrew word is hene, used 907 times. The Greek in the New Testament is idu, used 187 times. And this word means this. Pay attention. Notice this. You ever watch a movie with somebody who's already seen the movie, and like every eight minutes they tap you on the shoulder and like, this is a good part, you should watch this. <laughs> it's like, yeah, ah, let me watch the movie. Okay, that's, that is what this word is doing in our text. When you see a story that's being told, the text is tapping you on the shoulder and being like, don't miss this next part. Don't miss this next part. Pay attention, this is good. Notice this, don't miss out. I do this all the time with my kids. I have six kids. You go on a hike and you see something there, it's like, hey, pay attention, look over there, don't miss out, don't miss what that is. You guys, sometimes they do that for me. Nora, my seven-year-old, will be like, dad, there is the biggest pile of ants you have ever seen in our yard right now. It's like, and it's that moment for her that she's like, you can't miss this. You can't, because it's the best thing that's ever happened in our yard right now. You can't miss it. Notice this, pay attention. And that's what's happening in our text. Well, what are we supposed to pay attention to? Well, verse 17, behold, the mountain was full of chariots and horses all around Elijah. Pay attention. The storyteller tells us there's another army. It's not just the king of Syria and his army. Pay attention. There's another army. Holy cow. Another army. When I read this text, another text immediately jumped to mind. Because in this moment, what does Elisha see? This is where there's the difference between that physical world and the spiritual world. Elisha is looking at both. And there's no fear or anxiety going on him because he, he knows they're well protected. He's looking with spiritual eyes. He's looking at that reality and he's saying it's not just the physical, it's the spiritual. What does the servant see? Only the physical. And he's paralyzed. Well, this reminds me of a passage from the New Testament, Matthew 26. And this is the moment where Jesus is being arrested about to be murdered. He knows it. 
All four Gospels tell this story, by the way. And each of them give us a slightly different, like they give us different pieces of information. They all work together, but they give us different pieces of information. This is Matthew's take on it. He said, then they came, they came up and laid hands on Jesus and seized him. And behold, one of those who were with Jesus stretched out his hand. Now, here's the interesting thing. Three of the gospel authors say that exact same thing. They keep it anonymous. One of the people who was there was with, who was with Jesus pulled out, did this. Um, I think it's John who was like, it was Peter. <laughs> he tells us. He just outs Peter in his gospel. Okay, so it's Peter who does this. Behold, one of those who were with Jesus stretched out his hand, drew his sword, and struck the servant of the high priest, high priest and cut off his ear. And then Jesus said to him, put your sword back into its place. For all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Do you think I can't appeal to my Father and he'll at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? But how then should the scriptures be fulfilled that it must be so? Luke goes so far when he talks about this to mention that Jesus actually rehealed the guy's ear also in that moment. I love that. So as Jesus is delivering these words, he's picking up the slice of ear and putting it back on the guy as he's chewing out Peter for cutting off the guy's ear. What a great miracle. But I want you to notice the same exact thing that's happening, the difference between Jesus' perspective and Peter's perspective. What does Peter see? Only the physical. Those guys are trying to arrest Jesus. I have to take care of Jesus. <laughs> like Jesus can't do that on his own. All right? Jesus looks weak in this moment because he's allowing himself to be arrested. Peter's like, I've got to take care of this. What does Jesus see in this moment? All of eternity. He's looking at the spiritual. He's looking at the physical. And that's why he comes back to Peter and says, Peter, I got 12 legions of angels at my disposal. Uh, if, I don't, I don't know what a legion is to Jesus, if he was using Roman terms, then a legion was at least 72,000. And based on stuff that we see angels do other, in other places in Scripture, I'll tell you this, that would have been more than enough to wipe out the entire population on the earth of humanity, okay? And so Jesus leans into Peter right now and is like, hey, by the way, I have enough angelic power at my disposal right now if I snap my fingers to wipe the earth clean. I'm choosing not to use it. I don't need your sword. Give him his ear back, okay? <laughs> I, know, I know it's not what we're talking about tonight. I love that passage too because we're not really told whether Peter was great with a sword and was aiming for his ear or really bad with a sword and was aiming for his head. I don't know which one it is. It's one of those two. But either way, in that moment, dude could not see the physical from the spiritual. But that's what Jesus sees. And maybe that's why Paul goes out of his way to remind us with this verse we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. I'm asking you guys tonight, can you see with spiritual eyes? Can you see beyond the physical? I believe that battle is very, very real. I believe what Jesus said. And even those, who've grown, those of us who've grown up in church even those of us who've grown up repeating the words, even those of us who sing the songs by heart, all right, often walk through our days when we look and we see the obstacles that are in front of us, we only see the physical. 
And when you only see the physical, you only have physical answers to that problem. Same way with Peter. I don't, what else are you going to do except draw your sword and swing? Well, that's the only thing you've got if the only thing in your arsenal are physical answers to a spiritual problem. The physical and the spiritual, my friends. Why is this so hard for us? I mean, it always has been. Always has been. Jesus, when he was talking to the disciples, said this. This people's heart, he's quoting Isaiah here too. This people's heart have grown dull. With their ears they can barely hear. Their eyes they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn and I would heal them. And then he turns to his disciples and he says, but blessed are your eyes for they see and your ears for they hear. How many of us have grown up believing in God, but we live our lives as if he didn't exist. What just kept ringing in my ears as I was preparing for this, and I was thinking about this in my own life, this is the phrase that kept ringing in my ears over and over again. What a tragedy it would be to believe in a God who does miracles, who intervenes, and yet never expect him to work in that way. Never ask for it, never truly believe in it, to look at every obstacle that comes in our life and only have physical answers for it. Or do you believe that the physical and the spiritual might just intersect more than that? That what Jesus said about that was true. Why is this so hard for us? Because it requires faith, you guys. I can look at this, okay, this stool. I can look at this, and I can test it. I can see if, I can, if it's sturdy enough for me to sit on. Like, it's, it's concrete and it's there. Again, this is the physical world. This is the stuff science is made of. Science is the tool that is built to measure this, okay? I, and by the way, for the record, I don't believe that science and faith are against each other. The scientific tool, I believe, is an unbelievable gift of, of us helping look at and measure stuff that God created. I believe that, okay? But there are things in this world that don't look like this. Like what, Ben? like beauty, like morality, like love, like meaning, like purpose. Those are things the scientific method was not meant to measure. Those are questions of faith and philosophy. I read a book years ago by this guy who was a scientist, and he had all these questions and questions and questions and questions, and, and he finally realized that he was trying to answer these philosophical questions with the scientific method, and he was like, it's time for me to become a philosopher. <laughs> Those are the questions that I need to ask. But I think this is the reason why faith is hard for us, because we so focus on the physical, and it seems like the spiritual is so other that we just can't combine the two. And God's like, no, the two are combined all over the place. Your spiritual reality and this physical reality are woven together. And you guys, Jesus was great about letting us in on how to see both, on how to see both. He didn't leave us in the dark. He gave us good wisdom to know how to move forward. So tonight, I just have three nudges for you, three nudges for you to help you see, because I believe like Thomas. Remember, Thomas was the one who doubted. I even have the scripture up on the screen here. Thomas was the one who said, uh, he was one of the 12 disciples, known as the twin, was not with them when Jesus appeared. This is after he died and was raised again. So the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord, but he said to them, unless I see 
in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. In other words, Thomas is like, scientific method, baby. I want to science this out. And if I can science it out with Jesus and prove it, with my, prove it myself, then I'll believe. So eight days later, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. And although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. You guys, if you don't think Jesus has a sense of humor, read that again, okay? Because I can't think of a better way to surprise people in a locked room than just by appearing and saying, peace be with you, right? That that's the thing you announce when you appear out of thin air out of nowhere. And then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. Don't disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, have you believed because you've seen? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. It's talking about you and I. So how do we do that? How do we do that? Well, here are the three nudges I have for you. The first one is this, seek. Simple, right? Seek. Seek it. Be intentional. I'm asking you as you lock into your school year this year to actively seek God. I know it sounds generic, but listen to Jesus' language in Matthew 7, 7 through 12. He says, ask and it will be given. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. Everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. To the one who knocks it will be opened. This is active. It's intentional. You ever geocached or you've been on a scavenger hunt or something like that? You know what I mean? Like, you aren't just wandering around. You're looking. You're seeking. You're searching. You're turning over logs and looking under rocks and you're doing this stuff. It's an intentional act. Do you wake up in the morning seeking? God, help me understand what you're up to today. God, open my eyes to what you are doing in this person around me. You will become aware of things that you don't know how you became aware of them. The Holy Spirit will help you. I realize that person is hurting and needing encouragement. I realize that that person is needing a friend. And suddenly, you, your physical world and your spiritual world are being led by the Lord because you're asking and you're seeking. Jeremiah 29, 13 says, You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. He's bad at hide-and-seek, you guys. It's a bad hide-and-seek promise when God's like, I will be found by you. I'm not going to hide so far you can't see me. I will be found, but you have to seek. Second one is this. We need to lay down our expectations. And what's difficult is so many of us go through this period of uh, autopilot, Maybe that's the best way to put it. You know, like when you've driven for five or six minutes and then you, like, you don't even know. So suddenly you realize that your brain wasn't all the way there, but somehow you've been driving for the last five or six minutes. You're like, I don't even know how I got here right now. I'm in my driveway, but I don't remember coming home from work today. Um, how many of us walk through life that way? It's not asking, it's not seeking, it's not knocking. The other piece is that we have these wrong expectations about how God will work. If you would have asked Elisha's servant in that moment, how's, gonna, how's God going to get you out of that? He'd be like, I don't know. Couldn't see the extra army, couldn't, wasn't aware of what God might be doing. If you asked Peter in that moment, how's Jesus going to get out of it? One answer, my sword, cut his ear off. That was Peter's contribution. Okay? No. Oftentimes when I'm praying, 
because my expectations are wrong. I'll come in front of the Lord and I'll be like, God, I need you to do this. Like, I, I, I want you to do this. Please, like, you can either do it by A or B or C. And then I go back two weeks later and I look at that prayer request and there was like option Q that I didn't even know was on the table. And God was like, no, that's, I, I chose to answer it using option Q three weeks later than you wanted me to answer it. But that's the way I was going to do it. Sometimes we have these expectations of how God should work that actually put him in a box because it's not the way God works at all. Y'all, he is not your vending machine. You don't put in your little spiritual prayer nickel and get the thing out that you wanted to get. That's not the way it works. The God of the universe is not at your beck and call like the genie. So sometimes we have to let go of our expectations and become aware that God wants to do something outside of the box that we have drawn. Take a look at this. Isaiah 43, you notice a word in there? Starts with behold, tapping you on the shoulder, pay attention. Behold, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs forth, do you not perceive it? Don't you notice it? Don't you see that it's going on? I wanna do something new in your life. I know that you think your spiritual path looks like this, what if God has something over here and you wake up in the morning and you're like, I think I need to lay down my expectations and follow there. Sometimes we miss what God wants because we are expecting so much in this category and we've made ourselves the pilot of that ship that we miss the direction that he wants us. Ask, seek, knock, lay down your expectations. And the last thing I have for you is this, read Jesus. Read Jesus. Be in the Gospels, please. I want you to, to take his word into your life if this isn't a common practice for you, make it a common practice. I'm not asking you for three hours a day, two minutes a day, okay? Start there. <laughs> I, I'm just asking you to take in Jesus and his words every day. Start in Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. It's just the story of Jesus' life and ministry in the New Testament. And take him at his word. I got to warn you about some stuff, though, before you dive in. Because these are the kind of things Jesus said. I just, I wrote down a few of them. And I want you to listen to how crazy these things are. He said that there's life beyond this world. That he would go there and prepare a place for us. That's John 14, 3. He said that if we have faith, we could uh, say to a mountain, move from here to there, and it would obey. That's Matthew 17, 20. He said we didn't have to get caught up in anxiety about money and clothes and food, that God knows what we need and it matters to him. That's Matthew 6, 25. He said that we could do even greater things than Jesus did. Jesus said that about himself. You can do even greater things that I did while I was here. That's John 14, 12. He said that he had authority and that he was giving us authority. That's Matthew 16, 18. Paul tells us in Romans 8, 11, for crying out loud, that the same power that raised Christ from the dead, the Holy Spirit of God, lives in us, you and I. Do you live your day-to-day -day life in that reality? That the physical and the spiritual are so woven together that God has given you authority, the same authority that raised Christ from the dead, that you are not a victim Walk in this campus. You are an if you are a follower of Jesus, that you are an empowered, forgiven, loved force in this world that is changing eternity. That God has actually collaborated with you and with me in changing human history. Kind of a big deal. That's a pretty good thing to wake up for in the morning. There's a quote by C.S. Lewis 
that's kind of haunted me this week. I might recommend you pull out your phone and screenshot this. Take a picture of it. I guess it's not a screenshot. Take a pic of this. It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what's meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Far too easily pleased. Do you know, can you open your spiritual eyes enough to know what the living God himself has extended his hand and offered to you? Forgiveness, freedom, hope, a way out of worshiping yourself, an entirely different kind of life. Maybe you've gotten so used to pretending that this world is all you have that you've become content with it, but there's more. You guys, there's more. You weren't meant to live life on autopilot, to play church, to only see with your physical eyes. We are here to ask, to seek, to knock, to pay attention, to allow God to demolish our expectations and do a work that only he can do, to live in the reality that Jesus showed us was true, and that is where we as a ministry are headed together this year. That's where we're headed together this year. We're going to take Jesus at his word. We're going to ask. We're going to seek. We're going to knock. We are going to pray expectantly without putting God in a box of, oh, this must be where you have to take us. Because mm. he may have different directions to go. If three of you catch that vision this year, it'll feel like revival. So imagine what would it be like if two or three hundred of us catch that vision this year and the kind of transformation that could happen on our campuses would be unbelievable. Let's lean into that this year, yeah? Let's pray. Jesus, our faith is too small. And so I pray that you'd grow us, Lord. I pray that you'd help us come with expectation that you will work uh, without predefining how you must work. And for those who struggle, God, seeing with their spiritual eyes, um, I pray that you'd grant faith. I pray that you'd meet them in those spaces. For those, I mean, I, I know that we have people who are coming here who want to be with you, Christ, and who want to follow you. I know there are some in this room who can't even make it quite there. They just, they want to have the want. And I believe that's enough, Jesus. Would you meet them in the space that they're at? And I just come tonight with gratitude. God, thank you that we're together. Thank you that we get to worship you. Thank you for choosing to collaborate with us, for revealing the spiritual and how it comes into the physical, and for showing us, Jesus, how to open our eyes. Love you and pray this through your sacrifice and name. Amen.